We're going to continue uh, our study of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're reading today from chapter 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here this morning. Wonderful to be getting into Matthew chapter 25. Sobering words from Jesus we're going to look at this morning. But why don't I pray uh, as we begin. Our great Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that you've preserved Matthew's gospel for us. Uh, Lord, help us to listen, to learn, to understand what you'd have to say to us this morning. Uh, We pray that we'd grow in our trust in Jesus, our love uh, for Jesus. Father, we pray that we'd understand that uh, loving Jesus and not loving Jesus' brothers and sisters is impossible. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to say the the way you live now, think about the way you live now, the the decisions you make, the the, uh, kind of uh, life you're living now is determined by how you see the end of your life panning out. The way you see the end determines what you actually do in the now. So that's no clearer than this. If you believe that Jesus is coming to judge the world. If you believe Jesus will stand, you will stand before Jesus on that last day, uh, before the maker of the universe, and you will give an account to him, 
that makes a difference to life now, doesn't it? That makes all the difference in the world. If the return of Jesus is true, if the judgment is true, that is enormous. That makes a huge difference for us today. And the same is true if you believe there is no judgment. Uh, if, there is, if Jesus isn't returning, if you don't believe in the judgment to come, if there is nothing beyond the grave, that will make a huge difference too, won't it? Have you, have you met people like this? Uh, if you believe that and, and you're consistent, the Bible says, make the most of life now. The Bible puts it this way, doesn't it? Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. It's, it's as simple as that. It's as it's, it's consistent as that. Live how you think is best now, because there is nothing after this life. And maybe some people are good people, aren't they? they try to be the best possible people they can be. Uh, some people are complete ratbags. Uh, but in the end, it doesn't really matter how you live because after this life, there is nothing, there is no judgment, there is no Jesus. Some of you will remember, how could you forget, Kerry Packer, one of Australia's wealthiest men, uh, perhaps the wealthiest, certainly the wealthiest in his time. He suffered a heart attack in 1990 but didn't die. He was clinically dead for six minutes, they say, before he was revived by the grace of God. And he said these famous words, the good news is there is no hell, the bad news is there is no heaven. Do you remember those words from Kerry Packer? Uh, I read a bit more and he said, he said this, I've been on the other side and let me tell you, son, there's nothing there. There's no one waiting there for you. There's no one to judge you. And here's where he's completely consistent. So you can do what you bloody well like. That's true, isn't it? And didn't he do that? I think he lived fairly consistently with that. He's, he's the man who turned up to a parliamentary inquiry and just gave that air that I'm the boss. I'm the king. You're here to serve me. Now, there's lots of things we could kind and good things that we could say about him but that's the air that he gave that's what he believed he was consistent there's just one problem isn't it with his advice uh, if you want to you don't go to Kerry Packer for advice on heaven and hell he didn't actually die just one problem there isn't it on that occasion anyway now we've got to actually listen this morning to someone who has come back from the grave someone who's far more important far more trustworthy Listen to the words of Jesus, because these words of Jesus will make all the difference in the world. Um, from the book of Revelation, I am coming soon, says Jesus. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I wonder whether you believe those words. That's the kind of thing we're talking about this morning. Uh, do you really believe that? Because we're in Matthew chapter 25 and Jesus has his eyes set on that last day. Uh, the coming of the bridegroom, the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of Jesus. And in Matthew 25, what is, what is the theme? What is the topic? It's that day is, is fast approaching. Be ready. Uh, what, what can you expect from Matthew 25? I think you can expect some sobering words from Jesus this morning. If Jesus is not always completely serious, completely blunt, completely loving, he is in this chapter. 
And isn't he speaking about the most important topic in the world in this chapter? Who is in the kingdom and who is out of the kingdom? And how can you prepare and how can you be ready for that last day? I was just trying to think this week, what, is that not the most important question in the world for every human being? I mean, there's tons of questions that we think about every day. There's lots of things that the world says to us are incredibly important. But is this not the most important thing in the world? Who's in the kingdom? Who's out of the kingdom? What difference does that last day make to the way I live now? So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. And uh, we're going to step our way through it. There's three parts to this chapter. Uh, Very clearly, there's two parables to begin with. So the parable of the ten virgins... The parable of the talents, or your, your Bible might say the bags of gold. And lastly, I think not a parable, but Jesus speaking about the end, uh, using the imagery of sheep and goats in the third section. So we're going to touch very briefly on those first two, and then we're going to uh, go in deep on the, on the last one. So let me say something very briefly on those first two sections, those first two parables, uh, because they... They really, it's a bit like we looked at last week in Matthew 24. There's something profound there for the disciples to take on board and there's something profound for us to take on board as well. Because for the disciples, they are waiting for the end. They are waiting for the kingdom to come in. They are waiting for the coming of Jesus. And for the disciples, that means they're waiting for, the, the, even if they don't realise it, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the time when Jesus will ascend to his heavenly father and sit at the right hand of his heavenly father, when Jesus will begin his rule, his sovereign rule over the nations and by his spirit lead the mission of making his name known to the nations and the gathering of disciples and the growth of the church. That last days, that kingdom is about to be ushered in right before the eyes of the disciples It's the beginning of the end, and it's also applicable to us too, isn't it? As we think about, we're even closer to the return of Jesus. Uh, We're in those last days. Uh, Jesus has ascended, and Jesus will return. And so these parables apply to us as well. And so what do they say? The the first one, ten virgins, they're very simple stories, aren't they? Five were prepared and ready for when Jesus, the bridegroom, comes, even after a long delay. Five are unprepared and miss out on that great wedding banquet at the end. What is Jesus saying? It's very simple, isn't it? Are you ready for my return? Are you ready? Uh, Will you be caught unawares, off guard on the last day? Have you actually made preparations for a long wait? Are you going to follow Jesus all the way to the end? Have you prepared for a short race or a long race? Do you believe that the Christian life is the marathon, not the sprint? For the disciples, it was right upon them. Jesus is concerned. Some will miss out. And that's the, the imagery there, isn't it? Some will, there was five that were unprepared, five that were caught out, and Jesus says it will be too late. Very simple message. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? The second one, the parable of the talents or the bags of gold. The master Jesus gives his wealth to the servants. He generously gives out his wealth to be cared for, to be looked after by the servants, his disciples, by us. And when he returns, what's the one question the master's going to ask? 
What, what question would you ask if you came back to your home and uh, what did you do with it? <laughs> did you look after it? Jesus is actually asking even more. Did you grow the kingdom? Did you grow my honour? I gave you time, resources, money, people, gifts, talents. What did you do with them? Did you grow my honour? Did you grow the kingdom of God? That's the question that will matter on the last day. They had great questions for us, aren't they? They really get us thinking about how am I living now in light of the end? But come with me to the last section, the sheep and the goats, to verse 31, uh, where Jesus speaks uh, about that last day. Have a look in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the, the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. What a day that will be. That is, that is an incredible statement, isn't it? Uh, can you picture that moment with me for a moment? Can you, can you picture it? it? It may be this afternoon. It may be in a thousand years' time. But Jesus said, it's going to happen. The Son of Man will come in all his greatness, all his honour and, and glory and power. Jesus says, he's the son of man. Jesus will come. Uh, Jesus says, he uses that phrase, the son of man. It's, it's a phrase from Daniel 7. Who is the son of man in Daniel 7? Well, it's the one who's given all authority and all power over every nation. The one who has an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. The one who has a kingdom that will never be destroyed. There's no one greater. Here he is, the son of man, Jesus comes with all his angels on, the, on his glorious throne. Here is the moment that all of human history is waiting for and moving towards. Here is the decisive point for every human being on the planet when everyone and everything stops before Jesus. All the nations will be there, it says. Every person. Can you imagine every nation? We get excited about the Olympic Games. It's a tiny fraction of the nations gathered. This is every nation that's ever existed. This is every person. If it happened today, it would be every person alive and every person who's ever lived. Um, someone said to me this week, that is about 105 to 110 billion people. This is as public as it gets. There's no secrecy about this. You won't miss it. It's not private. It's not for some, it's for everyone. And there's a very clear image here, isn't there, also of separation. Do you notice that? Two, very, very simple, isn't it? Two groups of people, two destinations. Jesus is actually separating people for heaven and for hell. It's, it's serious business, isn't it? It's, it's one of those passages where you think, how could you ever doubt that Jesus took heaven and hell seriously no one took heaven and hell more seriously than jesus no one spoke about it more no one warned people more no no one encouraged people more to choose heaven why do we ever doubt there are the two destinations final real one eternal and better than you could ever imagine 
and, one, and the other one also eternal and far worse than we could ever imagine. And as I said, it's Jesus, the man of perfect love, truth and compassion, uh, who keeps talking to us about these things. And so two groups of people, the sheep uh, and the goats. And notice it is Jesus who's doing the separating. Uh, Jesus, the loving shepherd, who knows his sheep, divides them from the goats. Uh, and so it's not, it's not a, you're not over in the sheep because you're voted there. It's not because you're more intelligent. It's not because you're more educated. It's not because you're good looking. Jesus is deciding. Jesus is separating. Sheep on his right, goats on his left. And notice he even says one from another. This is as personal and as individual as it gets. The nations are gathered, but he's not sending nations there and nations there. Each person, the sheep and the goats. Uh, what nation you belong to at that point is irrelevant. Uh, race is not what determines where you go. It's individuals. And what becomes clear as you read on, the two groups of people with two different destinations are those for Jesus and those against Jesus. Have a look in verse 34. Jesus says, Then the king will come, sorry, then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Such beautiful words, aren't they? Aren't they the words that you want to hear on that last day? You will hear if you trust in the Lord Jesus. Come, Son, come daughter, you belong to me. You are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. Jesus uh, gave out lots of invitations, didn't he? If you read through the Gospels, he's always inviting people. Always inviting people, and he's inviting people to this day, isn't he? To come and believe, to come and trust, to come and experience the kingdom of God, to come and be forgiven, to come and be cleansed. And here he is again, inviting the children of God to come. Because the choice is actually over at this point, isn't it? Uh, lots of people wrestle with that choice now. Maybe you're one of them still working out whether you'll follow Jesus. But on that last day, those invitations, those kind of invitations have stopped. And Jesus invites those who know him, who've chosen him, who are children of God, to come and receive their inheritance. That's the nature of an inheritance, isn't it? It belongs to the sons and the daughters. You can't just bowl into the family and say, actually, that inheritance is mine. It belongs to the sons and daughters of God, to those who've responded to Jesus, who've put their trust in him. He says, come and enjoy the kingdom prepared for you. He calls them, in verse 37, he calls them the righteous. That is, the ones made righteous by Jesus and his blood. Uh, the ones who are righteous because they trusted in the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offered at the cross. And the ones who've lived a righteous life in response. But do you notice there's a surprise here in what Jesus says? Now, hopefully so far, lots of things haven't been... It's not a surprise that Jesus is the judge. It's not a surprise that there are two groups of people. Uh, heaven and hell shouldn't be a surprise to us. But there is a surprise in the reason Jesus gives for the separation. Have a look in verse 35. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, does that sound surprising to you? Is that what you were expecting Jesus to say? He actually points to the sheep and says, you acted with love and compassion. And I th- aren't we saved by faith in Christ and his death on our behalf? Aren't we saved because we, we actually trusted in Jesus, not ourselves? That we're cleansed, we're clean, we're right before God because Jesus paid the penalty for me at the cross. Not because I've been a good person or a kind person. Uh, were, were, were you expecting Jesus to say, come all who have trusted in the death of my son and trusted in my death on your behalf? Because that's how we're saved, isn't it? Only by trusting in Jesus' death for our sins. That is something we're never to forget. We should bed that down deep in our souls. That is the saving gospel, the death of Jesus and trust in him. It's all over the Bible, isn't it? Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. There's no other way. Or in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace, by the sheer kindness of God, you've been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. No one can say, I did it. I was good. Only by Jesus. Or Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified. Praise God for that. Who put right freely by his grace, by his kindness, through the redemption. He brought us back. uh, That came by Christ Jesus. Or even Jesus' words in John's Gospel, no one goes to the Father. No one goes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. If it wasn't for Jesus' death and resurrection, it wasn't for him paying for our sins, heaven would be empty, hell would be full. No one is in heaven because they are good. Anyone in heaven is only there because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross on their behalf now because just stop down for a minute because that's so important you've really got to work out whether you really believe that and here's a question for you we've talked about this question before it's it's an it's a it's an oldie but a goodie Uh, answer this question for yourself if you were to die tonight and god were to ask you why should i let you into heaven what would you say think about that question because I reckon your answer to that question actually, to, to, actually tells you whether you actually get it that it's Jesus. Because if you answer, be, because I, and you start to talk about what you have done or how good you are, you've, you've actually missed the point. So what is our only defense? What is our only answer? It's because Jesus died for me. Because Jesus took my sins. Because Jesus cleansed me, a sinner. Now what what does Jesus mean when he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I reckon there's there's two really important things to, to grasp here. Firstly, 
Salvation is all about how you respond to Jesus. Okay. Whether you're in the kingdom, it's about whether you've responded to Jesus. It's no different to the rest of the Bible. It's no different here. Have a look. When you listen to Jesus' words, what is he saying? How you respond to me is how I will treat you. See, what is he saying? When I, Jesus, was hungry, you gave me something to eat. It was about how you responded to Jesus. How you responded to me. When I, Jesus, was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I, Jesus, was a stranger and you invited me in. I, Jesus, needed clothes and you clothed me. I, Jesus, was sick and you looked after me. I, Jesus, was in prison and you came to visit me. See, when you acted this way towards other people, Jesus is saying, you did it to me. You're responding and loving me. It's about Jesus. Now, the second thing to keep in mind here is verse 40 actually helps us understand who Jesus is referring to when he talks about those ones that we acted with love and kindness towards. Have a look at verse 40. He says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus makes it even clearer, doesn't he? The way you treated Jesus... Jesus' brothers and sisters is the way you treated Jesus. Uh, do you remember in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus was being pressed by people? Say, you, your brothers and sisters, your very family's at the door. You know, you've got to attend to them. And Jesus takes the point to say, let me just remind you who our brothers and sisters are. Of course, Jesus knew who his blood brothers and mother were. But Jesus says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See what Jesus is saying. How you treat the family of God is actually how you treat God. That's remarkable, isn't it? How you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ is actually how you treat Jesus. Now, he's not, he's not on this occasion talking about loving everyone although we should the love of god that's the nature of when you become christians you want to love the spirit of god pours out love uh, indiscriminately whether whether they're a brother in christ or not but jesus is saying here uh, when you love your brother and sister in christ you're loving me because when you love jesus brothers and sisters you're loving jesus and it's impossible to love Jesus without loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. See, see, there's such a tight connection. See, the connection Jesus is making really clear here. There is such a tight connection between Jesus and his people. And the Bible has uh, several images to talk about that. Remember, Jesus speaks about, or God in his word speaks about Jesus, the head and the church, the body. Uh, one body with Jesus as the head there, you know, the body doesn't exist on its own. The body needs the head. Uh, you sever the head, you sever, you, there is no life in the body. There is no disciples of Jesus. Uh, the other image, of course, is the image of marriage, husband and wife, isn't it? Jesus, the bridegroom, uh, the church, the bride, the two joined together as one. 
uh, the vine and the branches. We could go on. You get the idea. The way you treat Jesus' people is the way you treat Jesus. Do you even remember when Saul, before he became the Apostle Paul, was on, uh, was, was, uh, before he was converted, he was persecuting Christians, and then Jesus appears before him and says these astonishing words. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He could have said, why do you persecute the church? Why do you persecute my people? He says, why do you persecute me? Because Jesus and his people are one. And Jesus says, you can't love me if you don't love my people. I reckon you see it when um, people become Christian. Um, what, what is one of the sure signs that someone's become a Christian? They confess Jesus as Lord and Saviour. There's a whole lot of changes that go on in their life. Um, one of the changes is, I want to meet with other Christians. Uh, I want to come to church. I want to come to your growth group. Can I meet with you? I want to love the other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a sure sign, like a magnet that gets drawn. They're part of Jesus' body. Uh, they've become Christians. They love Jesus and so therefore they start loving Jesus' people. I reckon this passage also is a word of warning, isn't it, to the person who kind of sits loosely with church and loosely with God's people. Now, there's a lot of room for judgmentalism and we don't want to go there, right? Some people can't get to church. Some people are too sick. They're too old, which is, which is a great reason to reach out in love towards them and visit them, isn't it? Isn't it? But don't be a fool, I think Jesus is saying. Don't kid yourself. If you're sitting loosely with God's people and you're not loving God's people, that could be a sure sign that you're not actually loving me. That your, your love for Jesus has actually grown cold because your love for Jesus' people has grown cold. It's even a warning, isn't it, to those who play the game of church as if God is somehow impressed with that, that you just turn up and you're religious and you're like a Sunday Christian, but you don't really want to love people. You don't really want to love God's people. And I think Jesus is saying, you're kidding yourself. You don't love me because you don't love my people. And what makes it even more challenging here is Jesus speaks about this love in very practical ways, doesn't he? He, he speaks about, I was hungry and you gave me food, real food. You did something practical. I was thirsty, drink, I was naked, you gave me clothes. I was a stranger, you actually invited me in. I was in prison, you actually came to visit me. You actually did something. It's very practical, earthy real, not superficial, sacrificial. Yes, it's, it's kind of like what James is speaking about in the book of James, isn't it? When he says, faith without works is dead. You can't say that you love Jesus, you trust in Jesus, if it doesn't show in your life. Uh, if you really love Jesus, if you really put your faith in Jesus, it will actually show in your love towards. It will show in a thousand different ways. But Jesus is saying here it will show in towards your love towards your brothers and sisters. And James 2, James says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Here's a very concrete example. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, um, 
but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? See, that's not real love. Genuine, real, sacrificial love is actually doing something, isn't it? And so it kind of raises, it raises the question for us as, as we think about this topic this morning, how can we encourage one another to love one another uh, as we love Jesus? Uh, and it's a, there's a whole number of ways, isn't there? But I hope uh, you're with me on this, that you can see there's a lot of love for Jesus at the lakes. And how do you see that? You see that in a thousand different ways. But you see it when people love one another, when you love someone else, a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, every time you care, every time you show compassion towards a brother or sister, you're actually loving Jesus. That's how you know that people love Jesus. Uh, every meal that's made for a brother or sister uh, who's struggling, every lawn that is mowed, every card, every gift, every visit, every time you help a brother or sister move house, what an effort that is. Um, that's an act of love if someone does that for you. Uh, every time you offer your car, your house, you give money, you give food, you're loving Jesus because you're loving your brother or sister in Christ. And it's, not even, it's not just here at the lakes, is it? If you love Jesus, you'll think about, how can I love my brothers and sisters in other places? Because, gee, some brothers and sisters in Christ in other places are doing it tough. They don't just need moving house to a better house. Uh, they need a house. <laughs> um, they need food. Uh, later in the year, we're going to have Compassion come and join us again. And um, what a great show that we love Jesus. Uh, and not everyone can take this up, but so many of you have taken that up because you love the Lord Jesus and you want to see this child and this church grow and have the physical things they need. Uh, sometimes it's brothers and sisters in difficult parts of the world um, where it's actually really dangerous uh, to call upon Jesus and, and our help and support or even in our own neck of the woods, a, a church plant, a small church that's trying to get started, uh, that needs our practical help, needs our money. Uh, what about the, the brothers and sisters of ours, of, of Jesus, who've counted the cost of taking the gospel overseas? So you never underestimate how costly it is for a brother or sister to give up, uproot their life to another part of the world to learn a new language and culture, to give up the comforts of, of home. Uh, I think that's one of our brothers. That's one of our sisters. Uh, and we love Jesus. You love Jesus because you support the Pearsons in the Northern Territory. Um, and you support the Turvies in Asia and the Goris in Kenya uh, and the pastors in India. There was a lovely, end of last year, lovely story of people donating money towards a motorbike for a pastor uh, in India. So it's, it's his family's transport <laughs> and it's how he'll go and visit the church, the brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters um, in Christ. You love Jesus and that's why you're doing it. So let me keep encouraging you to do it. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What a priv privilege and joy it is to love Jesus 
by loving his people. Let's keep doing it. And let's keep doing it and, being, and following the model of the Apostle Paul. Let me finish uh, with these quotes from Paul, who loved God's people, who loved Jesus' people because he loved the Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul says in Philippians, For God is my witness, how I long for... How would you finish that sentence? How I long for you, the Philippians, God's people, because I love Jesus. All with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, or in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, For what is our hope, what is our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus on that last day when he comes? Is it not you? You are our crown, our hope, our love, because we love the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the love of Jesus that he has for us, that he was prepared to come and lay down his life for us, uh, to make us his brothers and sisters, to completely forgive us of our sins, to set us on a new course that we might be welcomed in on that last day and receive the inheritance that is ours because of your great kindness. Uh, Father God, help us to love and honour your son Jesus as we love and honour and sacrifice ourselves for brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.